before we played the video to get us prepared and the beats come and it's all exciting, I want to let you guys know that today we have our very own Malik Campbell teaching the Word of God for the very first time on his own. And so we're very excited about this. You guys are used to him being behind the guitar. He's our worship lead. He oversees worship ministry. And it has been a, a week as he has prepared for this sermon. I've heard it. God's already used it in my life. And so I, my encouragement to you is listen to this young man as he teaches the truth of the word and be inspired by it, okay? All right, with that, would you play that video and Malik will get prepared. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and today I have the privilege not, to not only open up the Word of God with you, but to be able to teach out of it. Today we're going to be continuing in our series in Acts, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, so buckle up. But before we start that, um, let me tell you a little bit about me in case you don't know, because I always assume that people know a lot more about me than I think they do. And I grew up born, was born and raised in San Jose, I started coming to Church of the Valley, uh, not as long as some of you have been here, but um, when Tim came with the church plant called Compelled, before that I was plugged into a college ministry at San Jose State six years ago called Pulse, and it was there that I decided to start following Christ. Um, as you know, and as Tim mentioned, I, I play guitar, I'm the worship lead here, and I'm excited to be able to teach you all today. So last week we studied in the beginning of Acts 13 that Paul is sent out by the Holy Spirit on his first missionary journey to Cyprus, coming out of the church in Antioch. They travel through the whole island and come to Paphos, where he actually becomes Paul, formerly Saul, embracing his apostolic calling from God. Being filled by the Holy Spirit, he calls out the false prophet and magician named Elamus, and Paul says, the hand of the Lord is upon Elamus, where Elamus is then rendered blind, cast into the very darkness he was trying to lead Sergius, the proconsul, into. And the big point of what we studied was that the proconsul believed. He was amazed not by the messenger, but by the message and the teaching of the Lord. Now, as Mike read in verses 13 through 14, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga, and ended up in Antioch in Pisidia. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul. It, now it's Paul who is leading, Paul and his companions. The John that departs from them is John Mark, the same person who authored the Gospel of Mark and also cousin to Barnabas. He returns home to Jerusalem and it's not exactly clear why. Maybe he wasn't fond of or in agreement with the way things went in Paphos or where they were led to travel next, but one thing is for sure. Later on in Acts 15, when John Mark tries to rejoin the group, Paul doesn't want him to. He doesn't want him to come. It's also worth mentioning that the Antioch Paul came from is not the same one that he ended up in. There were actually a bunch of different cities called Antioch, something like 16 of them. And Perga was a coastal harbor city, or modern-day Turkey, where the ship from Pathos arrived. Pisidia was more inland to the north, and this area would be known as Galatia that Paul eventually writes to later, as we see in scripture. Now, this city had a large Jewish population, and when Paul and his company arrived in Pisidian Antioch, they went into the synagogue and they sat down where they heard the reading from the law and the prophets, basically the Old Testament. Now, why would Paul go into the synagogue? I have a couple of thoughts. 
For one, Paul knew what he was doing. He was sent out on a missionary journey by the Holy Spirit, and there were opportunities in the synagogue to hear about Jesus and to share the good news about Christ. But as I mentioned, why else would a Christian, someone who follows Christ, want to enter the Jewish synagogue? Like, what do they have in common? When they're reading the Old Testament scripture, reading from the Law and the Prophets, the reason? There was also an opportunity to hear about Jesus. The very scripture that was being read in the synagogue was a testimony and foreshadowing to the coming of Christ. Have you ever seen people that only read the New Testament and and don't bother with the Old Testament? because it's too harsh or confusing or like things that happen are seemingly impossible? Have you met those who only read out of the Old Testament and justify themselves with traditions and customs that were typical of the time period? So basically like New Testament and Old Testament Christians. Uh, the reality is all scripture is God breathed and both the Old and New Testament point directly to Jesus. And this is a big point that Paul makes later on. The New Testament shows us who Christ is God in the flesh, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. The Old Testament tells us of all that God promised and all that Jesus was going to fulfill. They aren't separate, they go together. Now when the reading was finished, the Jewish leader said, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. They're saying, Paul, if you have something to encourage us in, please say it. And it's worth noting that Paul likely looked the part. He looked like he fit in the synagogue, spoke the same language, wore the right clothes. After all, Paul was a Pharisee. Now, I have a similar experience. In high school, I was was really into marching band, and I enjoyed it so much that I, I, I did a version of marching band called drum corps, which is like an elite marching band. Pretty funny. I was really good at this. I got awards and got recognized by many people in my organization which was called the Santa Clara Vanguard, as well as many, uh, many of my peers and even people in other groups. Basically, the word gets around. I began teaching marching band, and one of the directors at a nearby high school asked me to come and watch practice. After they'd finished practicing, the same director asked me to come up and say a few words. Like, everybody was sweating, and everybody was like looking at me, and they were prepped and prepared to hear something encouraging, because like, I had the experience, I looked the part, now imagine if I went up there to those, to those kids and they were waiting for a word of encouragement and I started preaching the gospel. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Paul now has the floor where they expect this distinguished gentleman to elaborate on the Jewish teachings. He did. He just did it in a totally different way than everyone expected. He pointed to Jesus. Paul is like, You want a word of exhortation? What more encouraging thing could I share with you than the redemption of sinners by Jesus Christ? So Paul stands up and begins his first ever recorded sermon on the continuation of his first missionary journey. He begins by addressing two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, who are friendly to Judaism or converts, which I don't know how a Gentile converts to a Jew based on the Jewish expectations at the time, but okay. Paul recounts to them all the things that they would have known and been familiar with. God chose their ancestors, sustained them through, and led them out of Egypt. God endured with their conduct in the wilderness, which is not as much as God put up with them, as much as it is he cared for them, despite their behavior. 
He overthrew the nations of Canaan and gave it to the Israelites. God gave the Israelites judges up until Samuel when they asked for a king, even though they had all they needed. Samuel told the Israelites they don't need to be like the other nations. He was like, you, you have God. Yet still there was a desire for a king, so God gave them exactly what they wanted. Foreshadowing anyone? And if you read 2 Samuel, you know that they got Saul of Kish, and he wasn't a very good king, and eventually was removed by God, replaced by David, a man after God's own heart. Also foreshadowing. Now, it would be easy for me to get lost in all the bits and pieces of each piece of history here, which I'm sure you're wondering about, so I encourage you to go on your own or with a friend, go back to the scriptures and read where these things occurred and what God did in those times. But I don't want to miss the point of what Paul was teaching and the reason that Luke documents what he did. Look at what it says in verse 23. From this man's, David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Paul reminded the Jews that God sustained them, that they desired a king, that David would be a man after God's own heart and do everything he wanted him to. That descendants came out of David all to point to someone who would fulfill everything God had promised and would do his will perfectly. And that's the Savior, Jesus. Paul points to history to show that God's plan for redemption and fulfillment of promises in the Old Testament is Jesus. In verse 24, Paul mentions that John preached. Which John? Well, it's John the Baptist. Isn't it funny how he refers to him as just John? Like, who here knows a John? Like two of us? No, a lot of us. And, and if someone said, hey, do you know John? Would you know which John they're talking about? Probably not. In this case, it's John the Baptist. And John had a reverence for the Savior who was to come, saying that there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, the reason that Paul could refer to him as just John is that the Jews would have been familiar with the message of repentance and baptism delivered in John's ministry. But they didn't see how Jesus, the one who John was actually talking about, met the very criteria of the Messiah that they read about so often. And this is where Paul preaches the good news. In verse 26, he says, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. But God, Jesus, although perfect and blameless, without sin, was tried and crucified as a criminal. He was put on a cross and killed. They put him in a tomb where his body would lay, and on the third day he rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and was proven to be alive as he appeared to his disciples and many others that would testify about him. But the crowd Paul is talking to didn't think all this would come from Jesus. They missed Jesus because they got caught up on superficial things about Jesus, about how Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth that couldn't possibly amount to anything great. 
and they didn't believe what their very own law and prophets, law, word from the law and the prophets described about him so clearly. Doesn't this sound a lot like us? We have YouTube, we've got Bible apps, commentaries, so many different translations, the Old and the New Testament at our fingertips. We can come to church on Sundays, sing and know every Christian song, including the weird ones from the mid-2000s. Yet, regardless of if we have a relationship with the Lord or not, we still make other things the point instead of Jesus. We can miss what God is doing entirely. We don't have a lack of information problem. We have an unbelief problem. We don't believe God at his word, and when he puts the solution right in front of us, we often miss it or ignore it. We try to add to grace or do it our own way, then wonder how we can be saved or have joy or have peace. I tell you today that all these things are promised to be fulfilled and found in Jesus, and they are available to you through belief in Christ, and that we are not justified by our own works, but his. In verse 32, Paul goes on to say, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. What did God promise their ancestors? There are many things, but God promises to be with them, to save them, and he promises redemption. Look in Genesis 12, where God says to Abram, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, maybe this is what the Jews still think is going to happen. And maybe they thought God was going to send someone greater than Jesus to fulfill these things. They were still waiting on the Messiah. They, desire, they desired something or someone greater than Jesus over to forgiveness of transgressions and right standing before God. Paul contends that everything that God had promised, God has fulfilled through raising up Jesus. He goes on to prove what he's saying by quoting the passages that follow that his audience would have also been familiar with. He quotes from Psalm 2, when Paul says, you are my son, today I have become your father. Here the psalmist writes about the conspiring of nations, rising up of kings and rulers, gathering together against the Lord. But even that didn't matter. God is seated in heaven. He sees all these things and is in control. This psalm is all about Jesus. And, it's what's, and it is a call for people to surrender to his lordship. The rest of Psalm 2 says this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If this doesn't point to Jesus, I don't know what does. This is a continuation of God's promises that he fulfills through his son. 
In verse 34, Paul says, God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. And then quotes Isaiah 55, where God talks about making an everlasting covenant with those who need him, promising his faithful love that was also given to David. But what does God promise David? Let's read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love, will, my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now that's a promise. And it's about Jesus. I mean, Jesus did no wrong, but he was punished and flogged. And this promise wasn't going to happen through someone who was dead. It couldn't have been David. It had to have been Jesus. How do I know this? Paul goes on to quote Psalm 16 saying, you will not let your Holy One see decay. When David was singing these words in Psalm 16, yes, it applied to him, but it was also prophetic in that it foreshadowed the coming of Christ and his resurrection, as well as his eternal life being found in him. Paul knows this because David died. In verse 36 and 37, he says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. But he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. The one whom God raised from the dead is Jesus. And here's the point. God made all the promises to Israel, Abraham, and David, and fulfilled them in Christ. Everything God said he was going to do and redeem was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. To make Abraham a mighty nation, to establish the house of David, to raise up his offspring for his throne to be established forever. All these things are about Jesus and realized through him. He did not see decay, but he was raised up from the dead. In verse 38 and 39, Paul says, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? My friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is really good news. Through Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. And this has to be only through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that paid our debt. This is why Paul mentions that everyone who believes in Jesus through him is set free from every sin and every means every. We couldn't possibly obtain this justification through the law. It took God sending his son to die. How do I know this? Well, when was the last time you read the Old Testament? When was the last time you read the Ten Commandments? Let's be reminded the first two verses of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these, and this isn't on the slides, but I'm going to read it. Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words. 
Verse two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. I already failed. Not because I worship other gods or believe that there are other gods, like I don't actively worship a different God, but in my own sin, I put other things before God and sometimes make other things the point. Thankfully, God is in the process of sanctifying me and growing me more into his likeness as he is with many of you. Removing idols from our lives, but who has done the Ten Commandments perfectly? Who's done Leviticus perfectly? Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) We could not obtain that justification on our own. And when I read the Ten Commandments, I see 10 things I have not nor could have done perfectly. When I read the Old Testament, I learn a lot about who God is and his character, but I also read about our need for a savior. I read about my brokenness and the brokenness of man. With Jesus in mind, when I read the Old Testament, I feel bound by my inadequacy and my inability to keep God's law, regardless of how hard I try. My own sin affords me this, and that's why we all need a savior. The Old Testament shows us our need for a savior. So believe in Jesus. This is good news. Everything the Old Testament requires of us, Jesus fulfills. I've said this again. And if we believe in him, we are freed from every sin. God's redemption and promises are available to all of us and fulfilled by grace through faith in Christ. But Paul goes on to issue a warning. He says, take care, in verse 40, he says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Here, Paul is actually quoting from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, where God is promising a time where the Babylonians were going to invade Israel and take them away. People didn't believe they were going to be amazed and perish. And it's it's likely that Paul shared more than a quote. So I'm going to read a bigger chunk of Habakkuk, and I didn't put slides for this, but I'm just going to read. From Habakkuk chapter 1, it says, Look at the nations and watch and and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. This was a warning told to Habakkuk by God. If you don't believe the words of the prophet, you will be amazed and you will perish. Similarly, Paul is warning those in the synagogue, if you don't believe the testimony about Jesus, you will be amazed and you will perish. Now this has much more to do with with your heart than a singular action. Do you constantly reject Christ? Do you hear the word and know of your sin, yet don't care and don't want Christ? Admittedly, I'm not perfect at these things either. 
And I know there are definitely times when I don't do what I should do and I do what I shouldn't do. But the reality is there is nothing good waiting for us in the reality and then there's nothing good waiting for us in an eternity without Christ. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal life, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in pr- or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now I realize this makes a lot of us uncomfortable or make, may make some, some of us uncomfortable. Reminder that following Christ isn't always comfortable in a way that we want it to be. But there's good news. Faith in Christ saves us from this tragedy. Jesus saves us from this tragedy. In verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, it's worth noting that the response, the response by the people, they want Paul and Barnabas to continue on speaking. They want, them, they want to continue hearing what they had just heard. People are realizing what they're teaching, that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and they want to hear more. Both, Jew, both the Jews and devout converts continued to urge Paul and Barnabas, or Barney, as I like to call him, to continue on in the grace of God. <laughs> he's, he's encouraging them to keep going. I want to have a response like that after hearing the word of God. And on the flip side, I want to encourage others to continue to pursue Jesus and believe in him. We continue on in the grace of God. So I encourage you, don't switch teams. Don't switch to a false version of the gospel. Grace is the foundation in the relationship that we have with God. And that's getting what we don't deserve. This is what it means to continue on in the grace of God. Now on the next Sabbath, Sabbath, and this is verse 44, so a week later, huge crowds come, almost the whole city. The word of God continued to flourish and spread. People wanted to hear. The word of God at work was the primary thing that attracted all those people. It wasn't the messenger, it was the message. And back then, it was also intriguing for someone, to, someone new to come and teach, as Paul did. So I ask you, what makes you listen to people today? Does that person have to have a podcast or a book for you to have to listen to them? Do they have to be like really hip or, or fit or you know, have some kind of fitness goal that you have? Or do they bring the word of God and does that make you want to listen? Many people don't want to hear about Jesus. You talk to them about Jesus and you're like, hey, let me tell you about our savior and they don't want anything to do with him. Maybe they know enough already or they just don't want to hear it. And this is similar to what it says in verse 45. The Jews were filled with jealousy. 
They probably, had never, they probably never had a synagogue service like that before. Like the whole, almost the whole city came. The Jews could never have attracted such a crowd. And it's not like this in our day where teachings that appeal to what people want to hear like tend to bring more crowds. Even if it's like not true teaching. And what do they do? They contradicted, the Jews contradicted Paul's true teachings. They ganged up on him when he was only elaborating on the scriptures that the Jews were already supposed to know. They didn't want or believe in a Messiah that would be available to all people. Jews are more concerned with popularity than the actual teaching of the word of God. Have you come from a context where others were envious and vile towards you because you preached the truth? We're all on the same team. And it was evident that the Jews were not because they weren't happy about the outcome of Paul's teachings. I can teach the best sermon I can, and I don't think I'm very good at teaching sermons, but the best sermon I could possibly teach, but it's the Holy Spirit at work at you that's gonna make you, in you, that's gonna make you understand and believe even a lick of what I'm saying. God opens our eyes to see the truth, and only God, 2 Corinthians verse three says, or chapter three says, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Going on to verse 46, we see Paul's response to the Jews. He basically says to them, you got first dibs and you rejected it. It's clear that you can't see what I'm talking about. And if you do, you want nothing to do with it. The word came to the Jews first, not by preference of Paul, but because God intended to bring salvation and fulfill his promises to his people, Israel. But Paul turns to the Gentiles because Jesus came to pay for every sin and every means every. He says in verse 47 where he quotes Isaiah 49, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The grace of God was never meant to be exclusive to the Jews. It was always intended to be available to all, to everyone. If every sin is paid for, then grace is for everyone because we all sin. In Romans 1, Paul says it this way, and I'm starting in verse 14, but the slides start at 16. Um, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul stopped speaking to those who didn't want to hear it and those who rejected it. He expanded and continued to teach those with open hearts. And I encourage you to look for people in your oikos or extended household to share the gospel with. If they reject it, then continue on to preach them, but also continue to preach those who don't reject it. It's not that Jews can't be saved. 
because we see that people in the synagogue wanted Paul to continue sharing. Paul knew that grace was an exclusive. So when the first group rejected it, he turned to the next group who turned out to have open hearts to hear the word. That's it. So don't give up on those who reject the word, but there are people with open hearts who have a desire to hear the word of God. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They didn't reject it, they honored it, and they believed. The word of God continued to spread and flourish as God intended. Remember in Acts chapter one, verse seven, it says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the coolest thing is if you think about it, they were only there for about a week, and the whole city, almost the whole city came. Like, talk about starting a church. In verse 50, they bring, the, they bring the Jewish leaders and prominent women and men, and men who were leading in the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and kicked them out of Pisidian Antioch. So we see that not all believed, including Gentiles. What was their, what was their response? Paul and Barnabas' response was shaking off the dust from their feet and moving on. Things happen. We can expect persecution or tough times. God is still at work and he is good. Even when things go south, he's still at work. And they shake off the dust from their feet. They're actually obeying the teaching of Jesus from when he was still with the disciples. In Luke chapter nine, verse five through six, Jesus says, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Paul and Barnabas testified in full to the redemption story and the gospel. They did what they could, left nothing on the table, but they were persecuted and kicked out. The cool thing is, they were filled with joy. Sometimes we have an unexpected or an unconditional joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit. That was a lot of verses. Paul preaches a word of encouragement in the synagogue. He points all of it back to Jesus and preaches the forgiveness of sins by Jesus. Many believe the word of God, both Jew and Gentile, and, it, and the word of God continues to spread throughout the entire region. As I close, I want to leave you with this. And Raymond, you can come on up. It may seem like the Gentiles were special because a lot of them got it. Like the whole city, almost the whole city came. And I asked myself, why did they receive the word and, and the, not a lot of the Jews, and a lot of the Jews didn't? And maybe I was thinking, maybe it's because there's no redemption for Gentiles in Judaism. And when someone who's lost realizes their brokenness but hears about a savior who paid their debt, how could they not rejoice if God opens their eyes to see that? But on the flip side, for the Jew, when someone who has heard their whole life that their works justify them, 
and then fall short, and then learn of a Savior who did the work on their behalf, that is something to, to rejoice about. When they see that the teachings they have heard their whole lives are about Jesus and how he will become our justification, and they don't have to clean themselves up or be perfect, the same radical transformation can occur by the Holy Spirit, both in the Jew, just as it does in the Gentile. The grace of God is for everyone. And my point is, it's not about if you're a Jew or a Gentile, but it's about a heart to see God for who he is and believe him at his word. By faith in Jesus, you are a part of God's great story of redemption. Regardless of your background, the same thing promised to Israel and promised to you, is promised to you because of Jesus who makes a way for us to be included in the kingdom of God and have a relationship with God. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your grace and salvation is for all. It doesn't matter our background. God, you know us each personally. Lord, I thank you that you show us that your plan was Jesus the whole time. And thank you for showing us who Jesus is. I pray that we would all follow him and that we would pursue him, Lord, for the right reasons, to grow more into your likeness. And because you're God, Lord, you are a savior. God, I thank you for this time, and I just pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.